Hello and welcome back to the Panty Personals and I am delighted to be back in the comforting and luxurious surroundings of Camden Recording Studios in Dublin 8. And today my guest is an old friend who is going to make good use of the grand piano here. It's Farah El, the gorgeous, thoughtful, chilled and very fun singer-musician-songwriter who was first in with us for a chat on the Pantasocracy radio show about five years ago and who has a remarkable debut album coming out later this year. Farah was born in Libya and came here to Ireland when she was just an infant and her breakthrough song Silk, the one she performed for us five years ago, is a mesmerising mix of both her cultures, but more about that later. She says of her work, music is one of the most moving aspects of the human experience and helps me see the beauty in the bigger picture. Farah El Nehum. I just checked that with her, um, as the passport says. You're very welcome, and uh, lovely to have you back. Thank you. It's lovely to be back. I'm trying to remember um, if I've seen you in between. Mm. I don't think, but you, you, you're looking glowing. Oh, um, thanks. Yes, new hair. Uh, everything. I'm going blonde. <laughs> I'm drinking my water. <laughs> um, it's funny because, you know, back then you were only 22, I think, yeah. at that time. So now you're 27. 27. Yeah. Um, but you know, for a twenty-two-year-old, you were very, um, you know, self-possessed. Ooh. Um, like you know, very comfortable in your own skin, young woman. Aww. And especially because on that same show, there was people like Kocho, Reardon, and serious music people and all. And you breezed in as a twenty-two-year-old, totally unfazed. <laughs> um, are you always that way? I I think I maybe appear that way sometimes. But inside, my mind is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody thinks that, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, and at that time, you did Silk for us. Yeah. Um, which is still well, such a beauty. Thank you. And in between times, um, I've seen you got a lot of attention for your Massive Attack cover. You did a cover of Teardrops. Yeah. yeah. So that was for like um, a fundraiser. So basically all the proceeds go to like charity around uh, suicide prevention. Okay. Uh, that was really fun. That was actually, to be honest with you, when you're in college and you're recording music and stuff, other colleges get assigned these projects and they start looking for artists to work with. So mm-hmm. it was really just a very natural occurrence where somebody got in touch with me and asked me to record this and... I was like, yeah, sure. And it was a really good experience, actually. It was a really good learning experience, yeah. It's lovely, the track. Really Thanks. Lovely. Thank you. Um, I want to talk to you about names, two names in particular. First of all, your own, because as you may know, I'm a massive Farrah Fawcett fan. Hey. So, um, <laughs> so Farah really works for me. I didn't know that Farah in Arabic means joy or happiness. Or yes, something. precisely. Yeah, Farah. Um, 
do you know what um what, what's that um expression nominative determinism so if you get named something that has an association you're more likely to end up doing that thing so if your name is uh, Miller <laughs> you might end up you know <laughs> making flour I don't know you, yeah. you, uh, you know what I mean I totally know what you mean so though. do you I think totally there was do. knowledge of determinism involved there because you are a very sort of sanguine happy cheery person hey that's good to hear yeah I completely believe in that I actually think names are such affirmations like yeah I totally think that names have a big impact on us totally and the importance of being proud of your name no matter what it is as well it's so connected to our roots and where we come from and our stories and like I know we're not our stories but they are a part of us like you know so I think it's so interesting asking someone if there's a story attached to their name or yeah. how they got their name. Yeah, it's definitely a part of, of who I am, 100%. When I was growing up, I'd say when I was about four, I was always very, I'd always been quite committed to fun, I would say, yeah. you know? <laughs> that should be on your dating profile. <laughs> committed oh to fun. Oh my God, like I would totally prioritise things like ease and feeling wholesome and happy you know mm. and it's not like that came from a shallow place either it was because I was so used to all the seriousness and everything that I just wanted to not be the anxious presence in a room you know <laughs> um, there's a movie called Joy about a girl called Joy and I think there's a line in it that I loved and her Mum said to her, you were born to not be the anxious presence in the room. And I think that's such a lovely thing, you know. It is a lot of pressure, though, isn't it? It's a fucking load of pressure sometimes (laughs) that I put on myself. Nobody's asking me to do that. Well, if it really works, you know, if I had a child, then I would call it lottery winner. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Go for Um, it. The other name I want to talk to you about is Fatima. Yes. Because it's your mother's name. Mm -hmm. It's the name of the album coming up but it's also one of those interesting names isn't it because it has resonance in almost every culture or or certainly a huge number of you know different cultures now to me when I hear Fatima Mm -hmm. now you're probably too young to get this but maybe to me and don't tell your mother this (laughs) okay it, it actually represents a kind of crushing disappointment yeah and I'll tell you why because when I was growing up the third secret of Fatima was this massive deal. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Right, so Fatima is a place in Portugal and yes. it's a Marian shrine, kind of like Knock or whatever. And when we were kids, it was this massive deal because the Virgin Mary or whatever in Fatima had told the kids who saw her three secrets. Oh. And we already knew what two of the secrets were, but the third secret they weren't telling us. We did a school play about Fatima and we all become obsessed about the third secret of Fatima and you might remember that a man became so obsessed with that he hijacked an Aer Lingus plane and refused to let you know to let people out or whatever he's threatening to kill them all unless he was told what the third secret of Fatima was what yes that's how big a deal it was and we were all convinced and sure that it had something to do with nuclear war or it was a secret about the third world war that seemed to be the sort of the going you know thing so that's my association with Fatima but of course here in Dublin there's Fatima mansions and all of that Um, but it's also a very common name in the Arab world yeah 
It's actually, yeah, it's just a, it's a very common name. I also think that a lot of women who have the name Fatima have like a very distinct strength about them. So yeah, my mum is obviously the closest Fatima to me, but I actually chose it for that reason that you said that it's so culturally like applicable, so many places all over the world. But surely you chose it also because it's your mother's name. I that mean, too, yeah. but it was actually a really weird coincidence as to how I chose it. I didn't actually choose it because of her completely. I was doing a house share during the pandemic in a man's house and he was very holy, right? And he had this tile that he got from Fatima in Portugal, right? And it was on the wall outside the sitting room where the piano was and he used to jam out on this piano all the time. And I was just walking into the room once and I saw this little thing and it just said like, number five Fatima and it was this lovely little tile with like the Virgin Mary standing and all this and I was like it kind of looked like a CD cover you know it was the same yeah. dimensions and all it's like that'd be a sweet name for an album I was like oh my gosh that's such a good idea like I should totally call the album Fatima because obviously my mom and yeah. everything <laughs> well we have to talk about your mom yeah um and I guess a little bit about your background because this all comes into play in your music. So the basic potted version is your mum and dad came to Ireland from... Um, well, you tell us the story. Okay. We came to Ireland when I was one and a half. My mum and dad moved here and I'm the youngest of four kids. Yeah. So I was one and a half and the eldest was eight. And they came from Libya. From Libya. Yeah. From Benghazi in Libya. Yeah. So... They're doctors and there was like this Erasmus situation between Ireland and Libya back then. And also something a lot of people do or don't know, but Ireland and Libya had a very good relationship because Gaddafi used to... Yeah, supply arms to (laughs) the IRA, yeah. So yeah, Libya used to support the IRA quite a lot. So they also used to have these little Erasmus things going on and all this. So anyway, neither here nor there. (laughs) Your parents were not here because of the arms running. They were here because they were doctors. Just want to make that clear. (laughs) So they were doing their postgraduate studies and everything. And um, but the motive was also really to live here because my mum was very aware of like she knew things were going to kick off in Libya politically. Our family has ties to Libya, like in terms of political history, because my grandfather, my mum's dad, was a court martial judge and he had actually imprisoned Gaddafi when before he was president or anything. Yeah. So when he was a soldier, because he assaulted another soldier. And oh, there's just like this whole grudge between Gaddafi and my granddad. Like, so my mum was like, we should leave. You do not want to hold a grudge against you. Gaddafi would be right up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she made the decision that we should really leave and not go back to live there. But we would go back for holidays every year and stuff, Mm. you know? So that was cool. And then just as years went on, family, we started growing up. My dad wasn't really integrating. Like, he wasn't really finding it easy to integrate, but also we were quite locked in with the Libyan community at that stage. Mm -hmm. I used to go to the mosque every Saturday and Sunday to like study Arabic and everything. And then I think I was about 11, they made decision to get divorced. So that was sort of culturally, how would you say? Um, It's not exactly keeping up it. Well, it's frowned upon, right? (laughs) Definitely, right? Definitely. 
But actually it was a very like, it was a very necessary thing that happened because we had a lot of growing to do and a lot of, we were really embracing like the culture here. And also when you're a kid, you don't think about things like culture class, you just exist. And then (laughs) you just wonder why like, anyone would have a problem and with it. Y- your mum's an ophthalmologist. Exactly, yes. Um, and when you first came here, you were living in Dublin. Yeah. And then at some point along the way, you guys moved to, well, Julianstown. Yeah. Drod, is your your mum's in the hospital, Drod, is she? So she used to be the doctor, the eye doctor in the Lord's Hospital, which she retired from there in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And she has a private practice and stuff now, which she calls it retirement, but she works her ass off still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, just just to sidetrack here a little bit, um, you know, I'm interested that you're from, you you live in Julianstown. Yeah. You know, because of course my grandmother, you know, I grew up visiting my grandmother in the summers and all of that. And she lived on the beach in Betty's Town. Like one of those houses that literally, she had a little bit of grass and then you'd, Three steps and you're on the sand. Oh, I know the one. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. Neptune Terrace, beside the Neptune Hotel. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I went to school in Gormanston. Did you? And we used to sneak out of the school yeah. to go down to the beach. And then sometimes, you know, if we were feeling really bold, we would walk up the beach to Mosny, to Butlins. Yes. And all of that, those things that I've mentioned there, play quite an outsized role in your life at the moment even mm. I guess I mean, before I get into what you're doing in Mosny let's go back slightly to more about your mother so your mother after living here for quite a long time yeah. uh, raising her kids here being an ophthalmologist here yeah. then ended up going home to become the health minister after the revolution, revolution. yeah and how did that come about Okay, so that is pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, like, hi, my mum was the first health minister after the revolution yeah. in Libya. That is wild. I know, it's gas. I wish I just had like a chill story. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just kidding. I love it. So, yeah, I when I was about 16, 17. Doing your leaving, sir. Yeah. So the Libyan revolution kicked off. So after the divorce, when I was about 11, my mum really had more time and space to really fulfill her dreams and live her life to its fullest, right? She created a blog and the blog was exposing the injustice that was happening in Libya with regards to Gaddafi. So one thing about the Libyan revolution and a lot of the spring that was happening at that time, it actually started online. It started on social media. So she was one of the bloggers that would write about this is happening, like kidnappings, all these different things that were going on that people were actually really not talking about because they were terrified to talk about Mm. it. And if you talked about it, you would really get killed. Like it wasn't just like you'd get a slap on the wrist. Like Gaddafi would send people to your house and you would disappear. But we lived in Ireland. So that that was okay. Like you could get away with it. Like no one was going to come out here, right? And that's the thing, if you're doing any activist work for Libya, best way to do it is not live there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but do it from a distance. And she also was the only, one of the only people who was doing it and actually using her name, like she wasn't hiding or yeah. saying anonymous or anything. So between that and then setting up a charity called the Irish Libyan Emergency Aid, when the revolution first kicked off because obviously there was a war and a lot of medical aid was needed so she set up this um charity that would basically send over 
anything that Ireland was throwing out from the medical system, essentially like paracetamol, blankets, stretchers, ambulances, things that were just like being gotten rid of, they would ship them over. So that was probably happening for a few months and she got nominated in November 2011. And the nomination was for her to become the health minister in Libya. And she got voted in and it literally happened within like two days. She was gone. It was nuts. And this is happening while you are doing your leaving cert. Yeah. So you are the typical Irish student at the absolute high dough of this pressure and stress and whatever doing your leaving cert. And then your mum suddenly says, I'm off to Libya to be health minister. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it was a bit weird. But you go into autopilot when something like that happens. So I don't think I actually took a moment to be, like, particularly frazzled. I think I just was like, okay, this is happening now, you know? Which maybe is its own form of shock, but you just had to get on with it. Like, and it's such a rare circumstance that I couldn't really make it all about me. And you must have been really proud. I was proud, but I was really afraid. And at the Mm. end of the day, I was still a hormonal teenager who was like, (laughs) what about my life? (laughs) You know, whatever about all those lives you're about to say. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a bit of that. Like, let me not lie. So (laughs) I did just get on with it, though, at first, to be honest. Um, We all did. Yes, I was upset in terms of I was stressed, like looking after the house and stuff. It was just me and my brothers living in Julianstown at this stage, you know. And then having to study and all that, of course. But I wasn't actually like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe she's doing this. Which is, I feel even weird that I even have to say that. But it's actually something that I encountered a lot in the school that I was in. Because I remember being stressed and knowing how unique the situation was. But also knowing that it needed to just be dealt with. Mm. There was no animosity coming from me. Yeah. I remember like um, one of the teachers just being like trying to be like mad at my mom or something for me. For like, like abandoning you during yeah, your leaving service. I was kind of like, how dare you? Like, this is yeah. such a rare circumstance. I'm sorry, yeah. my mom had to go and like save a country. I'm not going to be like, that's terrible. How could she? You know, like. Also, you know, some 17 year old girls would be glad to see the back of their mother. <laughs> you know, and have a free gap. I did have a free gap. Yeah. yeah for a year. <laughs> for yeah, a year. Yeah. Which actually did give me the chance to do quite a lot of growing, which I needed yeah. as well. So, yeah, I'm really glad for it because it actually made me become a woman very quickly. Like, I went from being a young girl to being yeah. like, I'm an adult now. In terms of like things that are still so prevalent in like who I am now and even just like basic life skills from like looking after yourself as a human to like a house and all that those are things that you kind of need to learn at some stage so I learned them quite quick you know my impression of you is that you always pretty easily blended the two cultures in a way Mm. the Libyan side of you is is very present you know your parents um going to Moscow weekends and learning Arabic and all of that. Yet you also seem very comfortable in your Irish teenage girl leaving (laughs) cert, um, you know, thing too. And the first time I met you and you did the song Silk, you know, that song in itself is this sort of blend of Mm. the two cultures.
And um, have you always treated sort of the mix quite lightly and easily, or? It's actually such a good question. I thank you. I'm <laughs> going to. <laughs> I have gotten to a stage, yeah, where I, I think the only way to embrace both is to do it lightly, because it was such a heavy point of contention for me, like. I didn't even realize I was Libyan really until I was about 17. My mom had to go back to Libya <laughs> like, yeah. until the Libyan, Libyan revolution happened and it really had a huge effect on our lives. It was only then that I was like, okay, this is actually like a really huge unavoidable part of who I am, you know? And also... But like, had you been going to Libya? The last time I had gone, I was honestly like 11 mm. and I had such a negative experience with the Libyan community in terms of not really being taken seriously or being seen as kind of very haram. Yeah. <laughs> so there was kind of a lot of negative connotations that I had, but I didn't want to hold on to those. Mm-hmm. I actually really wanted to embrace the fun aspects of it, which was very simple things like getting my henna done by my granny and just like having an ability to speak a secret language with yeah. my family or like secretly understanding Arabic if I'm on the bus and I can hear it. Like all these yeah. things that I found really great about it. And then obviously like the benefits, you know, like not getting sunburned and, <laughs> you know, like feeling just like, feeling like there was something about me that I was yet to still understand. But I had to work through the like heavy part of it as well though to actually yeah. get to a point of joyful acceptance you and, know? And, and musically because you know you're 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 mostly self-taught I mean you did go to BIM as so many of mm. the young artists around at the moment in, in, in Dublin did but you know you, you're mostly self-taught as a kid and all of that so were you playing and listening to you know only western pop music you know when you were 13 and 14 or you know or was there always you know a sort of a mixture in there <laughs> like it was, I'm laughing because I, I had ext- a lot of extremes growing up, okay? So it was a lot of Western music. So my mum would be playing things like Boney M in the car, like all this, okay? And then I'd get in the car with my dad and it was a total different experience. Like, God love him, he's very intense, okay? <laughs> and I'd just sit in the car and we'd just be in total silence. It would just be the Quran being played oh, the whole God, way. Okay, yeah. so- <laughs> <laughs> so it was like party car with my mom and like, you know, be a good Muslim with my dad. So yeah. it was like, even though they were both raised in the same town and same background, it's just different, different yeah. mindsets. Right. So I didn't realize the impact that that was going to have on me, like musically, obviously. But um, <laughs> I'm sure when my dad was playing the Quran in the car, he didn't expect me to grow up and be like, remix! <laughs> so it's just like, okay, grand. So it was a mix of everything. And then obviously I had my own stuff that I was into. I pretty much listened to everything that my siblings were listening to. So that was like a lot of hip hop. A lot, a lot, a lot. I'd say, I'd say 80% of the music I listened to was hip hop and the other 20% was like 
heavy metal for a couple <laughs> of years <laughs> and then I started I went through this really like really a long stretch of an obsession with like ska and reggae and like mods and 60s subcultures like yeah. I got really into it <laughs> for a few years but, but am I right then in thinking but though that Silk was that song was the kind of first time where you purposely blended them blended them yeah. in, in a track a solution to it's wearing me and all of a sudden I see That there's an ocean in the desert and it's waiting for me When it hits me and makes me hard to uh, That was written, I wrote that song two years after the Libyan Revolution had happened and I'd been through a particularly difficult time with my family because we had a lot of stuff to work through after my mum came home, naturally. Mm-hmm. She had a few assassination attempts done on her when she was there. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of PTSD, like, in yeah. the family that we we probably needed to face, you know. And it wasn't easy, but it was very transformative because it was then kind of creating this situation of like, well, okay, we have a choice, like... Are we going to try and block this whole thing out that happened? Or are we going to take from it the parts that actually are really good for us and like will help us heal and grow? So music was one of the best ways to actually do a bit of healing. And I can't separate my own healing from my family's. It's not possible for me. For years, I wanted to fight it and be like, even in interviews and stuff, try to be like, I just want to make it about the music. But I can't separate them. (laughs) You know, like, I have to be honest, okay? So in the two ways that it happened was, one of them was writing. So I did a lot of songwriting. I did a lot of sitting at the piano. I did a lot of singing. And that was really, really good for me. Like, it helped me just like unfiltered, get it off my chest, right? And then the other was having music in the house. So we used to be one of those houses that had the news on in the background all the time when we were kids. And I knew just how it felt that it was really bad for the subconscious. So we made a decision then to not put the news on in the background anymore and just Mm. put on like very calm music. And it caused this huge shift in our family but especially for my mom when she really needed it you know and it was kind of amazing so we just kind of in this unknowingly at the time very synchronized you know way of moving forward it just kind of clicked then and I realized also through going to therapy by the time I was 19 I was like oh there's a name for this this experience that I've had and it's my favorite term that I always use is just culture clash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just a culture clash, <laughs> you know, it just made well, it you simple. have on a number of other occasions too. You have referred to music as being a sanctuary. Yeah. That's very clear in, in that story. Mm, yeah. Is that always the way you've seen it? Do you use music as something to retreat into or to sort of uh, let go of things? You have this other expression about getting it out of your bones mm. that I like. Or is it a kind of therapy? It's literally all of what you just said. So I would say as a whole, it just helps me and a lot of people in the world, I'd say, would agree with this, but it just helps you see like the beauty in life sometimes, you know, it can make things. Now, it's also a distraction. So I, as much as I love music and like how 
amazingly powerful it is I also think silence can be like that you know (laughs) so I I have this appreciation for 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 both but sometimes I feel like the music gets you to the silence you know sometimes you can listen to a song and be like oh my god this whole world of things that I was experiencing has just been like compressed into this feeling for three minutes that I can enjoy but still feel whatever needs to be felt. And then the song's over and you just feel like that peace sometimes. Mm. And that's when the silence, you know, you can sing into silence or whatever you want to call it. But um, Well, you're going to do a couple of songs for us. Yes. Um, so we're going to, I want you to do the first one in, in a moment. But just before you do, though, because we're on this subject, um, I mentioned Mosny. Oh, yeah. And we've been talking about music as sanctuary and all of that. So when I was a kid running up to Mosny, it was uh, Butlin's, the, <laughs> you know, the holiday camp. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, it was fun and silly. And then, of course, le- um, X number of years ago, mm. um, it became a, a direct provision centre. And um, in, in a way, it's kind of almost like the poster child for direct provision in this country. And that's not necessarily a great poster. And you are... Work with people in direct vision in Mosny using music. Yeah, so there's a few places that I... So I give music and wellness workshops. I do them every week and I've been doing them in Mosny for a few years now. I facilitate a women's group in there as well. I do them in Drogheda as well. Basically, I give these workshops or these sessions, facilitate them to just kind of create a space where you can kind of you can kind of improve your emotional intelligence or whatever you want to call it but it's just through having a space to like express yourself through music Mm -hmm. and a lot of it it's very simple like a lot of it is just based around like the warm-ups that I learned for before shows and like I also have I'm I'm playing it down a bit I actually have done a lot of studying on like trauma healing and psychotherapy so I mix that in with my musical experience and um and your language skills, obviously. And my be, language uh, skills are useful. In handy there, yeah. Yeah, it's just to have a place where ease can be created and you can just work through some stuff without necessarily having to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And to celebrate your identity. So I particularly enjoy giving these workshops to people from ethnic minority backgrounds because it really helped me embrace where I'm from without deliberately being like, I'm going to sit down and embrace where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just was like, oh, this is what my mother tongue sounds like in music. And also like indigenously, all of us, music would have been like a serious practice for healing. And so would have been dancing. So a lot of the time, like I'm talking 5,000 years ago, if you had a sore throat, your tribe would just tell you to sing for a couple of hours. <laughs> or if you were having psych- like psychosis, they would make you stomp on the ground for hours to ground yourself or tell you you need more time in nature on your own to reflect. So I'm just kind of there to share those practices with people, mm. just to let them know that there are tools that we can use to like protect our energy, you know? Mm. Well, let's have a song. Cool. So tell me about the first song you're going to do. Play It By Ear. Which is out as a single. Yes. So it's one of the first songs that I'm releasing from the album, which will be out later this year. And I'm so excited. The album, which is called Fatima. Fatima, Okay, let's hear it.
just gonna borrow tomorrow's happiness so that I can guess what the next thing is and I won't sweat. Wallow and swallow all my pride because I won't hide or create a disguise. No, I won't hide. So can we play it by ear? If we play it by ear, then the good will hear it and the planet won't interfere. The dream, the dream's so crystal clear and I'll tell nobody while it grows. And I won't tell nobody while it grows. I tried to lie and no I can't deny this feeling bursting through the ceiling cause we can't go wrong so can we play it by ear if we play it by ear then we can we play it by ear if we play it by ear then we can we play it by ear if we play it by ear You must be very pleased with the reaction. Oh. Play by ear has gotten. It's gotten a lot of airplay. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually am. Because I haven't actually really released music. So it feels really normal. But also it is a really new feeling. Yeah. I actually feel a lot more at ease that it's happening. Because I've said this for a while now. But when you're sitting on that many songs and haven't released them. Yeah. Like you kind of end up in like this like musical constipation <laughs> where you just like really want to like release it yeah. <laughs> before you start writing more stuff. And yeah, so that's where I'm at. And how do you feel about putting it out in the world? Just because, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, that I do is very ephemeral. You go to the show, 
it happens in front of you mm. and then it's gone. Mm. And, you know, six months later, people might remember tiny little flashes of it or whatever, you know. But when you, you know, re- release music, it's a moment. It's all perfectly recorded. Mm. It's there, you know, forever. And it, it goes out in the world and you change and move on and do different things. But that little moment stays the same. Yeah, that's so well put. And in a way, you've no control over it anymore. It is its own thing out in the world doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in musicians, how they feel about that in a way. <laughs> yeah. For me, I definitely know that it's a certain capsule in time. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same person who wrote that song yeah. anymore at all. I don't even sound the same anymore. Like it's so funny, like, but I still love it. It's just the it's the way that you love your twenty two year old self. Yeah, I'm able to hold it at arm's length actually now. Mm-hmm. I'm not too attached to it. I love the album and I still love it when I listen to it. It's just that I'm able to separate myself from it yeah. now, and I just want to work on new stuff. And <laughs> so for me, releasing them now is like. For me, well overdue. You know, I'm like, here you go, y'all. And I'm not going to take it too personally. If you love it or you hate it, that's fine by me. But the main thing is, here it is. And it's a gift for everyone. (laughs) Um, Was it always going to be music for you? Yeah, I think so. Like there was no other possibility. You have siblings, so maybe they, older siblings, so maybe they took some of the pressure off. But mm. what, like, were your parents hoping you were going to become a, a you know, a doctor? As yeah. Well? Oh, they definitely like. My mom definitely thought music was just going to be a hobby for ages. My dad, as I said, was like out of the picture by the time I was eleven, so he didn't really get a say. But yeah. like, if he was around, that would be like a total no go. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would not be sitting here right now, yeah. right? But my mom always loved music. Saw it as a hobby though. Yeah. And then it wasn't until she first came to my gig where I played Silk. And it was her first time hearing me really like on stage to a crowd. And that's when she was like, oh, this is, this is actually cool. Like yeah. you, you can do this, you know, like this is a career move. And it wasn't that I was waiting for her to sort of give me the permission but mm-hmm. it definitely felt good knowing I had her support you yeah, know because you don't always end up with that and that no. can be hard so yeah it was... you have a, a very supportive family yeah your brother takes oh, pictures yeah um the website's gorgeous and I mean well tell me about your siblings a little bit yeah I really love my family and we've you know we've been through some tough times and I you know, I just feel really grateful that we're still a unit, you know, despite everything. And um, so I have my eldest brother, Abe, who takes has taken loads of photos, yeah. really great photos. He's a photographer and he actually was in a band and was a songwriter for years. I kind of copied him when I was about nine. Like, to be really honest, I was like, I want to be Abe when I grow up. <laughs> but so, another non-medic disappointment to your parents. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're all in the artistic realm. Okay. And then my sister, gosh, Foz, Foz is her name. Foz means victory in Arabic, by the way. She is just like, honestly, spent so much of her teenage years and just her life just nurturing me, like in so many different ways. What's the age gap? She is seven years older than me and she's just like my best friend. Like she taught me about sisterhood. 
She taught me about kindness. I feel like if Foz wasn't around, I could have ended up being like kind of a bitch. Like, <laughs> but she was there to make sure that I was like just good hearted always. And, and yeah. there's another brother, right? Oh, and then there's Omar, closest to me in age, just like the smartest person I've ever met. I call him my Wikipedia and he did the artwork for yes, the album. Yes, he's a graphic designer. Actually, funnily enough, not by trade. Oh. But is really, really good at it. I was like so shocked at that. Like the artwork, he just, yeah, he just got it. You so know? what is he by trade? So by trade, he did product design for a, year, okay. a few years. He did do medicine for a few years as well, but he didn't finish it. Oh my so God, So he's the only mother. one. I know, he gave her a <laughs> teaser. <laughs> he's the only one who kind of dabbled in that realm. But she, yeah, I think... My mum was always very adamant not to force us to, into some line of work. You know, she wanted us to choose our own thing. Uh, so that's pretty cool. The older I get, I actually, you know, in, in my case, you know, I, I really like all my siblings. Um, but the older I get, the more I realise that that's not actually, you know, entirely common. Lots of people love their siblings, but don't necessarily like them that mm, much. Um, yeah. I very, very st- get strongly get the impression from you that you absolutely adore your siblings and your old busy mates. Yeah, we have a good rapport, definitely. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't absolutely like want to kill each other sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely a respect between us, a huge, yeah. huge amount of respect and a lot of love. And no matter what's going on, like if something, if we need each other, we will show up always. Yeah. Yeah. Really doesn't matter what's going on, but if if one of us needs something, we'll be there. And are you are you very different personality wise? I mean, one of the interesting things about you and um, you have this thing um, which we were talking about, and when we were talking about you behind your back <laughs> and uh, sort of admiring it um, enviously, you do this thing where you say you work three days. Oh, and, yeah. and then the rest of the time you, you're, you're sort of nurturing your creative self and self-care and all that and that you treat that equally as important as the, the work things. Yeah. That's very important to you. Yeah. Self-care, finding time for yourself thing. Yeah. Just, um, there's always things to do, but you also just need time to like exist and to just be free and that's where the creative juices actually flow like during your playtime you know so yeah I definitely prioritize I think a three days now I'm obviously very privileged to be able to do that but I worked hard to get to that stage as well you know it took years of grind and definitely not three day weeks to get to a point where I can be like yeah so I'll just work Tuesday Wednesday Thursday (laughs) and the rest of the days will be off you know because on days off, you still got to do things like, yeah, take care of yourself, eat well, get some time in nature. and Buy toilet paper. Yeah, buy toilet paper, <laughs> do your grocery shop and yeah. do the laundry. There's actually so much that comes in with being a human. <laughs> yeah, with, with being alive. Yeah, there yeah. is. It's a total pain in the ass sometimes. Right? Yeah. yeah, like it's mad. And also, because I'm able to do that... For myself, I can look after like the people close to me better because they might not have as much free time to be able to do that. So like if 
my partner is working from nine till six and doesn't get a breather at all. Mm. I can look after the food or I can, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, so, yeah, it's it's definitely something I really believe in. I think a five day week is so unfair. Yeah, you you need to move to France. Oh my gosh! To <laughs> me, all that's about like four day week and all. That's like crime, <laughs> though. Like I just can't believe we're still doing a five day week out here. Like, um, you're a solo artist, but um, you seem to like collaboration. Yeah, you're collaborating quite. Um, we've been enjoying the Oh Honey one with them. Um, oh, with the kind of linguist, greatest bad name ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you, I mean, you're just bringing out your first album after being, you know, around for, you know, a while. A while yeah. yeah. Um, but what's the dream? You know, what's the uh, ambition? <laughs> My dream is to get some juicy sync deals <laughs> on a couple of the songs on the album and just sit on my fat ass while the money comes in <laughs> with like my little orchard <laughs> <laughs> you 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 want your music on a BMW commercial and yeah uh. I can sell out for one song it's okay <laughs> but yeah to just have time and space to keep writing and to have the music support me financially um and that going to work for me means going to create music or write music if i'm for some reason in a like meeting new people in new spaces and it's all because of music and then also getting paid on top of it that's the dream like i'm already there you know and it's lovely um yeah so i think i think things like sync deals and stuff they just help you buy more time to just keep doing what you're doing, which is just great. I just, yeah. And clearly, it's this very big interest in the sort of, you know, psychotherapy, wellness, mm. all of that. Is that always going to be part yeah. of the story? Yeah, I think I'm always going to keep that in because that gives me a different kind of motivation. Mm-hmm. That That keeps my values in check with my actions. I think I do those things with myself to stay well but also we need community and to be able to be in like a vulnerable space with people that's quite healing like gives just all around nourishment for me and anyone involved as well so I definitely think that's a need more than anything to keep Mm. doing that and also to stay grounded because I love playing live shows, but it's hard to stay grounded when you're doing a lot of live shows. You can just end up in the sky the whole time. Like, and then you come back down to earth and it's like really lonely. (laughs) So I'm just, I just don't, I don't want to commit only to performing because then I'll just lose sense of like my groundedness that I need to. You're you're very mature. (laughs) You're, you're very mature, <laughs> heavy shoulders. Oh my God. I, 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 you know, when I was your age, I was like 
throw me up in the sky and I don't ever want to come down. That's cool, <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, I'm addicted to all of this. You need a bit um, of that. <laughs> um, you're going to play us out with a second song. Yeah. It's called Desert. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little about it? Desert is about that quiet place where you don't have to entertain anybody. You just are with yourself. It's your Sunday morning lion. It's your need to recharge from the world moment. It's a bit sad. It's also a bit empowering. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I wouldn't expect any less from you. Um, <laughs> Thank good. you. Daddy. So I will try to be with more 
song. Thank you. You do have a lovely voice. Oh yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, Farah, when was the last time you were back in Libya? I was 11. 11? You'll have to go. I know, I'm dying to. I actually have a big goal of playing a massive show there in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, do you like the live gigging? I love it. I yeah. love connecting with the audience. I love looking at them deep in their eyeballs when I'm singing. And <laughs> Just the atmosphere of being together and listening like that is, yeah. yeah. I love, love playing I live agree. shows. I agree, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Farah, it's been lovely to chat to you again. Thank you. Um, not to sound like you're a creepy old auntie, but it's lovely to see you blossoming into a oh. wonderful young woman. Um, Thanks, Auntie Panda. <laughs> we'll have to um, do it again in a few years and catch up again. And I, when I have no doubt, you'll have been up to loads of interesting things that we can talk about again Um, so thanks a million and looking forward to the release of Fatima thank you thanks for having me thanks for being here (laughs) 